Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. What is unique about the presence of Jesus is that it comes like a fire and it begins to burn away all the the pretension. It begins to burn away all the play in church. It begins to burn away all the masks that we wear. And our lives are just laid open bare before the Lord. And he loves that version of you too. He redeemed that version. He redeemed that person. The one that we want to hide from him is the one he hung on the cross for. Not the fake us, the real us. And so Lord, would you just, Lord, would you just come shine your light on the real us today, God. Transform us, make us like you, Lord. The only way we know how, we lay our lives down at your feet, we surrender. Would you just take this offering? Would you just take this offering? Would you just burn in us? We just lay our lives down on the altar. Living sacrifices, we present our bodies. That's our reasonable act of worship, our reasonable service, Lord. So today, Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of lifting up your name together as a family. We thank you for the privilege of just being in your presence. Lord, we thank you that we're transformed right here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. I don't know about you, but I'm hoarse. Just a few things before I, I, I go through announcements and all that. I know you've heard some of them, but we got more. Uh, I just want to say how excited I am this morning. I feel like, yes, we just had awesome worship and all that, but I feel like there's just a really a fresh wind blowing. I can't speak for you, but I feel it in my life. And uh, the tenderness of the Lord sometimes look, looks like correction. <laughs> And that's what it kind of feels like. It's like, hey, you need to wake up, buddy. You know, but, but I'm here and I'm going to help you. You know, I, I, he's just so good. And uh, I just pray that if, you're, if that's not on you right now, you just receive that in Jesus' name. Just a fresh wind of, of, of the Holy Spirit in your life and just returning to Jesus with everything we've got. That's what it's about. It's just giving him everything. So um, I've got a few announcements before we dig into the uh, message today. College Sunday dinner is happening next Sunday, March the 10th. You can register on the website. If you're in college or if you're just college age and not in college and you've got a job and making more money than the rest of the folks, then come, <laughs> come on and, and come to the, uh, the college Sunday dinner. It's happening next Sunday. And I'm told there's like a door prize or something. So I don't know what that is, but... Um, parents night, you've already heard about it, March the 12th. It's a time we just, we really just want to encourage you 
as a parent, whether you've got teenagers or whether you have got toddlers, you know, everywhere in between, um, we just want to encourage you, pour into your life, and just know that this church is here to partner with you as you're raising your kids, okay? And so we want to support, and that's what that night's about. There's child care and food, and today's Youth Sunday. We, we, we love just pouring into the next generation. That's happening right after service today, so parents, go get you something to eat and come back around 2 o'clock, pick them up. Um, I'm excited about Easter. You know that's coming, right? Um, March the 31st. And what we're doing this year is obviously every Easter we emphasize inviting people, right? Because there's the statistics say that people come at Easter when they wouldn't come any other time. And so it's just a really open door for people. And so what we're doing for Easter because of that, because if you hadn't looked around in a while, it's kind of packed in here uh, on a typical Sunday. I can't imagine what it's going to look like when you invite your neighbors. And so what we're doing is we're going to two services on that Sunday. Instead of 10 a.m., we'll have two. We'll have one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. And here's the fun part. After 11 a.m. service, we're going to have food, not snacks food. Like you're going to walk to your car like this when you're done eating. Okay. I'm just saying it's going to be good. And, uh, and, and even more fun than that is that we are not just having a meal for our church family, but we're inviting our neighborhood to have a meal with us. And, um, and so today, after service, when you walk through those doors, there's a glass room right there. Right past the glass room, there's going to be a little table. And Chuck, where you at? Are y'all both going to be there? Chuck and Shay, stand up so they can see you. If you want to be on the team that goes out into our neighborhood and personally inviting people to Easter with the little bags and stuff, um, then you need to sign up right out there with these guys today. There's two times we're doing that. Um, we're doing it March the 10th. And March the 24th. So that's next Sunday and then the, fo the following. So um, canvassing the community. If you've never walked around and talked to some of these people in our neighborhood, they're amazing. They're awesome. And uh, they'll, they'll be, it'll just be great to have them here with us for Easter. Communities registration has been open. It's never too late to join a community. So get plugged into that. You can register online, get signed up. There's somewhere near you, whether it's a home or a coffee shop, where you can do life with, with other people. You enjoying community so far? Good, it's good. All right, well, we're starting a new series today. Yay! Called Marked. Marked. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. I don't know if you've met Jesus, but when I met Jesus, it changed everything. And, you know, I feel like sometimes I, I go through these seasons of my life and I feel like I meet him all over again. And it changes everything. And I don't think you can run out of those moments. One of the things we stay, say around here is that we create spaces for people to encounter God. Right? And Because we know that more can happen in His presence. Let's look a while ago. He did so much in worship this morning. He, don't, he doesn't need a preacher for that. Like he can, We've just given Him the space that He needs. He can just move. If we just get quiet enough, if we get still enough sometimes... And just let him speak. It transforms us. We're transformed in the presence of God. And it's those encounters that we're talking about. One encounter, one moment in his presence could change 
everything. So we not only believe that, but many of us have lived that. Can I get a, a hand wave if you've actually met Jesus and it's really changed your life? It's not just religion. Like he has made an impact. He's made his mark. He's made his mark on you. And so in addition to diving deep into the biblical accounts of people who met Jesus in the New Testament, we're going to hear from some people in this house who have met Jesus and been transformed by it. And so I'm, every Sunday, we're going to have a testimony that goes along with the message. So you guys welcome up Sydney Eskridge this morning. Sydney is one of our uh, SCAD, uh, SCAD students that is here for not much longer, but she's here. And if you know Sydney, she has, she has made her mark on you because she's awesome. But she's got a testimony to share this morning. Hi, guys. Thank you so much, Gunner, for having me here and to share a little bit of my testimony with you guys. Um, but before I start, I want to read the word. Um, and I just, when I was praying, I just felt Isaiah 63, 9. And it says, in all their suffering, he suffered. And the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. And I just feel like that is just, like that verse marks my life. And it explains what the Lord has done in my life. Um, but I am a SCAD student. I've been at the dwelling for about a year now. And I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, grew up in the church. Um, but really, all I knew about God was that he died for me. And I had to leave my sleepovers early on Sunday mornings to go to church. <laughs> and so that was about it. Um, but I faced a lot of rejection in the church. Um, I faced a lot of rejection at school. And just growing up, you know, you're really insecure. I don't know many people who are in late elementary school, middle school, who are super confident in themselves. And this turned into a lot of self-hatred, which turned into me turning to self-harm at age 11. And so from age 11, I was regularly self-harming. Um, and going into my middle school years, all the fears I had of people rejecting me actually came into people rejecting me. And I had no relationship in my life that I could trust genuinely, even as an adult looking back. And it led me to have suicidal thoughts. And so at the age of 11, 12, 13, you know, I was wanting to end my life. I was self-harming. I hated myself. I thought that I loved everyone more than they could ever love me. And I lived this way until about 15, my sophomore year of high school. I got invited to a Bible study with some girls on my drill team. And we were just reading the word. I wish I could tell you guys what I was reading, but I actually have no idea. Um, because what the Lord spoke to me in that moment was so life-changing that I honestly don't remember anything else. But I remember sitting there with the word open in my lap, and I just heard the voice of God say, Sydney, I will always love you more than you will ever love me. And in that moment, I was healed from anxiety. I, was, I never self-harmed again, and I never had suicidal thoughts again. And... It's making me emotional because I've been asking the Lord to help me remember 
what it was like. In the past couple weeks, he's been having me remember that he actually saved my life. And I, I could tell you so many things of what the Lord sent after, how he's used my testimony to have me pray over people who are suffering with the same thing and seeing them get healed. I could tell you about how he's restored all those relationships that were so broken during that period of my life. I could even tell you how the enemy literally wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Like that is a reality we live in. But I felt like what he wanted me to end on is that the love I felt then has only grown tremendously. And I know that it's only going to grow more than I can even imagine for the rest of my life. And I've been living in a love encounter with God literally since I was 15 years old. And there's been the ups and downs, but God's love is for all of us. It's so rich. And it's, I can confidently say as literally a 22 year old that I have tasted the richest love possible. You know, I'm excited for marriage. I'm excited to have a kid, but I know that there will literally be no love that compares to the love I know with Jesus. So just thank you guys for letting me share my testimony with y'all. All right. That's powerful. Hey, would you would you mind praying over people at the end of service? So if anything she said, just like, oh, that's me. Just come let Sydney pray for you after service. Okay, so there's a story in John. It's in a, a biblical account in the Gospel of John. And it takes place right outside a Samaritan village. Just a little context. The Jewish people uh, were in the, the land of Israel. And then there's this uh, faction that kind of breaks off from Judaism. And it's the Samaritan religion. And it kind of brought some of the ideas with them. But they kind of said, well, you know what? We don't need this whole thing with Jerusalem. We're going to go worship on this mountain. And it's almost, a, 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 they took enough of the beliefs with them. But they kind of created their own thing. And missed the mark, you know? And so because of that, Jewish people would look at Samaritans and they would think, well, they're not the real ones, you know? They're, they're, they've, they've got some jacked up theology. They, you know, they don't live like we do. They're kind of the, like, we don't want to talk to them. And they wouldn't even address them on the street. Like there was no, there was no social interaction that took place. And it was outside of a Samaritan village that Jesus and his disciples, because Jesus wanted to go that way, John 4 tells us that he went by way of a Samaritan village to get where they were going. So there's intention there. And there's a well outside of that city. And this well was built and dug by Jacob. You'd read in Genesis that the, he's one of the forefathers of the faith. And he dug this well and it's, it's, so this well has history. For, for centuries, it's been this place where people come. It's a community hub. It's a place where you not only draw water for yourself and your, and your livestock, but it's a community gathering place. And many of the women on an on a, on a early cool, in the cool of the morning, you, it would just be full of just women getting the water for the day that they were going to wash with, that they were going to 
used for cooking or drinking, whatever. And this was this community hub. Well, it's the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, and Jesus says, hey, boys, you know what? I'm kind of tired. I'm going to sit right here by the well. You guys go into town and get us something to eat. And they're like, oh, that, that town? We're going into that town? He's like, yeah, go get me something. Go get us something to eat. So they go into this Samaritan village, and Jesus is just chilling out by the well. And I want to put ourselves in the lens of this woman that comes to draw water. And many of you are familiar with the story, and that's why I'm retelling it so we won't get all Bible with it and like forget the impact of it. She's walking out of the gates of this city, and she walks toward the well like she's probably done every day in the middle of the day. We can assume by the context of the scripture that I'm going to read that she's trying to avoid someone or something or avoid people altogether because she's coming in the heat of the day when no one's supposed to be down there. Imagine that. She's just doing her thing. She's got her water jar. She's on her way. And then she looks and she sees a figure down by the well. And she's like, oh, great. Closer she gets, she realizes it's not another woman. It's a man. And she's got to make a choice of like, all right, well, dang it, I really need water. But I don't want to talk to anybody down here. I don't want to be down here, down, especially a man. And then, you know, what does he want from me? What he wants something from me? Down here in the middle of the day at the well, what is this guy even doing here? And sure enough, the conversation doesn't get too far when she's asked the question of a Jewish rabbi that she's not even supposed to be talking to. The Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And there's this man, this Jewish rabbi, that asks her a question. He says, hey, can I have some water? And let's pick up right there in John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, please give me a drink. In verse 8, it says, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God had for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I'd give you living water. Sir, you don't have a bucket. <laughs> or a rope. What are you? And this well's very deep. Where are you going to get living water? And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water? than this. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water, this water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I hear the sarcasm here in this woman's voice. Oh, please, sir, <laughs> give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again. And I don't have to come here and talk to people like you, you know. <laughs> That's kind of how I, I read that. And Jesus says, all right, go get your husband then. 
I don't, I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now, you're not married to him. So you're right. Yeah, that's, that's right. And the woman was like, let me change the subject. <laughs> Sir, uh, it, I'm, it seems like you're a prophet. <laughs> so let's get spiritual, spiritual, real <laughs> And let me change the subject. Can I just say this? This is why I don't tell people I'm a pastor, because everything gets super spiritual when they find out who I am. And they start telling me all the great things, they start debating things. I'm like, can I just, can we just, can I just get a haircut, please? <laughs> so I get this. But he says, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist on Jerusalem being the only place of worship while we claim it's here at Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worship. And Jesus said, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming. In fact, it's here right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so I know Messiah is coming. So, you know, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, I know he's going to explain all this, all this to us. In other words, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Another translation says, the one you are speaking of, I am he. <laughs> and then interrupting this what is happening moment right now, the disciples come back. They're shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what are you doing? What are, what are you doing? <laughs> the woman left her water jar beside the well, rude. She just walked on by him and ran back to the village and started telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Come and see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. And it says the people came streaming from the village to see him. There's a song, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but we've sung it here. A few times, but there's a line in the song that says, Shame is a robber with a smooth and velvet tongue. Shame is not benign. Shame is not innocent. Shame is not just something we carry that it'll be okay. No, shame actually will ruin your life. Shame and carrying that weight for any length of time does damage to your soul. It does damage to your relationships. It does damage to your life. And we see a woman that is avoiding people. She's avoiding everything, avoiding the conversations. Like you see this woman just squirming around 
And I see a woman filled with shame that's talking with Jesus. Shame's keeping her isolated. Shame is keeping her, is putting her in the position that she's in talking with Jesus in the first place. And he, know, he knows that. So shame, if we could just turn it in personally to us, is what we see in this passage. We're going to break it apart a little bit. But I want you to see that shame will rob you of some things in your life. It's not benign. So if you're in this room and you walked in and you got some shame, maybe some mistakes of the past, maybe some mistakes that are not so past, maybe some regrets, maybe some, some guilt and shame that you just can't seem to throw off. You, you've tried to cover it up with drinking. You've tried to cover it up with entertainment. But it, when you get quiet, it seems to show up again. Can I just tell you that the Lord sees that on your life and he doesn't hate you for that. He doesn't look down on you for that. He's actually coming out of his way this morning to come by your village so that you'll run into him. And so that when you walk away from this well that you're drinking from today, you're actually going to have the water that you're not going to be thirsty again. And it's going to be bubbling out of you and your shame will be gone. And I believe with all my heart that some of you are going to meet Jesus today. You say, well, I know Jesus, but mm, if you're carrying 100 pounds of shame on your back, that is not the will of God for your life. Jesus wants to set you free from your shame this morning. And so let's look at what shame robs us from. Shame will rob you of your confidence. Hiding from opportunity because of shame. We've all done that if you think about that. Some people like to call it that imposter syndrome thing of like, oh, if anybody finds out I'm not the real deal, you know, like we run from actual God opportunities because we're carrying shame that, was, that says, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I deserve that because we have an estimation of our identity that is not how God sees us. So shame will rob you of your confidence. Shame will keep you in survival mode. I see a woman who is just, she's got to have water, but that's all she's concerned with is just, I don't want to talk to anybody. Just mm, let me go out here when nobody's, and it's, it's just the survival mode. She's not thinking about purpose. I know in the greatest times of shame in my life, purpose and mission is out the door. That's not on my radar. Shame will make you turn so introspective that you can't even see the outside world because you're living with such deep regret that you can't see purpose in front of you. But an encounter with Jesus restores identity. It restores and fosters a confidence that not just stems from accomplishment or from encouragement or, you know, self-esteem or whatever. No, a confidence that stems from the love of God in your life. Confidence that the world gives you will fade. It's been said, if you live for the praise of men, you'll die by their criticism. The opinions and the the preferences of people are just like a roller coaster ride. And if you ride that, it's a, that's an awful way to live your life. But when you find the love of God, it changes everything. You get a new identity. 
you get confidence not based in yourself or your ability or any of that. It's just like, I'm accepted. He calls me his son. He calls me his daughter. Is there anything too hard for him? If God is for me, who can be against me? It's that kind of confidence that I'm talking about. But when I'm, when I'm buried in my shame, I'm not thinking that way. I'm not thinking that way. I'm not even thinking that God even loves me or likes me if I'm buried in shame. If you feel that way today, I just believe an encounter with Jesus, what it does is it opens our hearts to options. Some of us are, are backed into a corner when it comes to possibility and opportunity. And the Lord has a vision for your life. But shame has put a lid on it. And what Jesus wants to do this morning, I believe, is just open your eyes to who you are in him and, and, and give you some options. Jesus comes with options. Number two, shame will rob you of your confidence. Shame will rob you of community. I don't know this woman, but I don't know if she had many close friends. Some choices in her life, some, uh, some mistakes in her life had caused her to hide from people. And hiding from people always leads to isolation. And isolation breeds suspicion. Now, I don't, I don't know if I can trust anybody. Uh, every, every kind gesture that comes at me, I got, I'm thinking about an ulterior motive. And listen, that's what pain will do. And that's a real thing. And uh, nobody's, nobody's saying that that's bad of you to think that way. That is how the world works. That's how we are as human beings. We protect ourselves and we insulate ourselves from pain because we don't want to get hurt again. But what happens when we isolate is we become more and more suspicious. And then the more specific, here we go. Suspicious we become, the more isolated we become. And we build a cocoon around ourselves, and it all started with shame. Because what we think is, they cannot know the real me. Because if they found out who the real me is, they wouldn't like me as much as I do. I didn't say that right, but you get my point. Like, they, they wouldn't love me either. The most critical people on the earth are often the most critical of themselves. So reframe the jerk that you work with. Like put, there's a reason. They seem to really love themselves, but chances are when it gets quiet, they really hate what they've become. And I'm just saying shame will cause you to isolate. Do you know that it's possible to have a job, to go to church every Sunday and run from people your entire life. It's real easy to do it in church. I pray it becomes impossible in this house to stay closed off. Some of y'all got terrified when I said that. But I'm serious. We come to church. Now, I don't, I'm not saying y'all do this or I'm doing this, but church is an easy place to put on face. It's one day a week. Here we go. Going to do this. All right. You... You better, you tell your kids, you better. Oh, good morning. How are you? <laughs> like we do that. It's, 
Because we think if I showed up real, it'd be weird, number one. They're not ready for that. I would be rejected. That's why community is so important. You need some people where you can be real. If you're having a bad day, you can say it and they don't freak out. If we just be honest with one another, be, have a little vulnerability, we'd find some healing. But see, do you see the cycle? It's like I got hurt and so I insulate myself and now I cannot let anyone else in. And so now you don't have people you can actually confide in. You have no one to talk to and you live in your pain or you live in your shame. You say, I can't tell anybody what I did. I can't tell anybody what my, I can't let anybody see into my thought life. I can't let anybody see into my secrecy because then they would turn their backs on me. There'd be no one left. That's the lie of the enemy. Now, some people might walk out on you, but the body of Christ is supposed to be a covenant family. Now, we're not, that doesn't mean we skirt over sin and all that stuff and let things slide that need to be called to the carpet on. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying we got to be a safe space to talk to each other. But what shame will do is it will shut us down, cocoon us. But an encounter with Jesus does this thing where it just opens our hearts to people. I remember the time in my life where I said the phrase, I hate people. You ever said that? I can't stand people. I would be happy if I just got in a cave and I never saw a person again. Do <laughs> you know what would cause a person to say that? Pain. Deep pain. But what's happened in my life since is I've gotten to know Jesus. And I've gotten to see myself, but I ain't no better than nobody else out here. And I realized that I, Jesus has been really good to me. He's been really kind to me. And that softens my heart so that I can let other people in. What happens when you open your heart to Jesus is your heart opens to others. Because what happens is Jesus comes in and he heals that pain that makes us want to self-protect and self-preserve. Now, I, I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I don't know all the brain stuff that happens when that happens. I just know Jesus can do that. You guys know that I am pro-therapy, counseling, all that stuff. My family's been offended from it. I still go to counseling. I say go get help, all the help you can get. Let, the, let God use people who have been to school to help you and all that. But I'm telling you, you can't do it without Jesus. You can do it with Jesus and all that other stuff too. He can use all that stuff. But when you, when you don't do it with Jesus, it's, you're going to spin your wheels. Because you're never going to find identity like you will with Jesus. You're never going to find friendship like you will with Jesus. You're never going to know, like Sydney said, you're never going to know love like that. Everybody in your life, what, I don't care how, much, how close they are to you, they're going to disappoint you. Jesus never runs. Jesus never disappoints. So I believe that today there's some people that you've been closed off to community. You've been closed off to relationships. You've, you just live in these walls, and the Lord wants those walls to come down today. 
And it's for your good, not your harm. They're not protective walls anymore. They're not protective anymore. They're actually blocking you from the people that you need in your life. Let Jesus tear those walls down and heal some things this morning. All right. So number one, confidence. Shame robs us of confidence. It robs us of community. What letter do you think this third one starts with? <laughs> Shame will rob you of your character. Shame robs you of your character. A habit of hiding leads to more hiding. If I have the mindset, I can't let anybody know this, then I have to become a liar. And so I've compromised on my truth-telling in order to cover myself. You following me? Hiding leads to more hiding. It leads to more excuses. It leads to more compromise, and it's a cycle. For those of you that have struggled with addiction in this room, you know it, that shame is the thing that keeps, this, keeps the bike moving. Right? You, 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 you feel shame and you run to the thing that made you feel shame in the first place. And now you feel ashamed that you ran to the thing and it's just a cycle. And it goes with anything else. But, 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 but shame will make us hide from people. Shame will make us it will send us further down the road we don't want to go on. But an encounter with Jesus will make you honest. The same woman sneaking out to the well before she met Jesus is the woman who, after she met Jesus, didn't care who knew what because she found somebody who'd love her no matter what. And suddenly, everybody else didn't matter. She just wanted them to experience the same Jesus that she just met. And that's all that mattered. That's good. That's good news. When you meet a Jesus like that, that can, that can turn your life around in a moment like that. I will say this, going back to the community thing. We're going to have, if i got community leaders in here, I would love for you to come up and just receive people for prayer in a few moments. That's how we're going to end service today. I will say this. I've seen people come up to an altar and receive prayer, and shame broke off of them in a moment. It's kind of what you described, Sydney. I've also seen people get in the body of Christ and get in community, and shame gets chiseled off of them. I don't really want to go to community group this week. They show up and more shame falls off. And they walk out a little lighter than they did before. I don't care how God does it. I just know that's just, this is what he specializes in. From, from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, their first response was to hide from God. And cover themselves. And nothing's changed. But what did Jesus, what did, what did the Father do in in, in Genesis, he knew what they'd done. And he went looking for them. That's why I love this story of the woman at the well. He, he, 
He put himself in her way to set her free from her shame. And I believe he's done that for somebody here. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening to the podcast later. He wants to set you free from your shame today. Can we all stand for just a minute? Meeting Jesus will strip you of pride and secrecy. And so I would, I would just ask you on this final note here, this final point, what are you hiding that you need to bring out into the light today? What are you hiding that you just need to bring out to the light? I don't know. This is my brain. I'm just letting you in. We're on 80s movies here. Talking about 80s movies all the time now, it seems like. But you know what happens to the, to the Mogwai and the Gremlins when the light hits them? It burns them, right? Is that what happens? That's what happens to your, to your hidden secrets when it comes to the light. It just burns them away. Some of the addictions, some of the shame that you guys are carrying today in this room or because you've never opened up about what you're going through. Because yeah. you think, oh man, they would think I'm the biggest fill in the blank ever and reject me. Why don't you take a chance on that? Yeah. Why don't you get honest with God today? Get honest with your family and see if you're not healed because of it. Yeah. I mean, would you rather live the way you've been living or would you want to be healed? Yeah. Sometimes... The medicine we need is not the medicine we want to take. You, who's got children in here? I never in my life. I'm like, if you will take this, your head will stop hurting. Your nose will unclog. No, I want to be miserable. You know, like, it tastes bad. I'm like, hold your nose. You know, like, guys, hold your nose and just take the medicine. Do what Jesus is asking you to do. I promise. Healing journey, your healing journey will start if you open your heart to Jesus this morning. So let's just pray. And then uh, while I'm praying, if you community leaders, if you want to come on up, guys can prepare some music for us just to leave by if you want to. But this is how we're going to end service today. If you've got an area in your life where you're, you would say, I'm, I'm weighed down in shame, would you be brave enough to come up here and let somebody pray for you and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And I need to not, not only just get it out and get it off my chest, but I need somebody to pray with me and stand with me. And who knows, if you're not in a community, these guys lead communities. Even if it's that, I don't have any friends. Here's your friend, friend connectors right here, okay? Let's pray together and then we'll, um, then we'll just respond. Just move on what God said today, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you go out of your way for us. Thank you that you go out of your way to heal us of our brokenness, Lord. And we've just, we've just hidden our brokenness for far too long. And we've spun our wheels for far too long. We've been caught in these cycles for far too long. And today, Lord, we just want to say, it, this is enough. This is enough. We're coming home today, and we're turning from this well that we've, drink, we've drunk from, and we're turning and we're going out into a world 
And we are free and we're bringing freedom. Lord, I pray that that happens today in our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, for your beautiful, beautiful love for us. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our sister's life who shared her testimony. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts. We thank you that we are marked by you, Lord. And I pray for anybody in this room that's not, you'd mark them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.